soul leapt with the consciousness that a moment lost now might bring destruction to us all. Shovels, hands, boards, anything, everything that could displace snow was brought into instant requisition. It was a weird picture, that small company of frantic men fighting the banking snows, half in the blackest shadow and half in the angry light of the locomotive's reflector. One short hour sufficed to prove the utter uselessness of our efforts. The storm barricaded the track with a dozen drifts, while we dug one away. And worse than this, it was discovered that the last great charge the engine had made upon the enemy had broken the fore-and-aft shaft of the driving wheel. With a free track before us, we should have been helpless. We entered the car, wearied with labour and very sorrowful. We gathered about the stoves and gravely canvassed our situation. We had no provisions whatever. In this lay our chief distress. We could not freeze, for there was a good supply of wood in the tender. This was our only comfort. The discussion ended at last in accepting the disheartening decision of the conductor, viz. that it would be death for any man to attempt to travel fifty miles on foot through snow like that. We could not send for help and even if we could, it would not come. We must submit, and await as patiently as we might, succour or starvation. I think the stoutest heart there felt a momentary chill when these words were uttered. Within the hour, conversation subsided to a low murmur here and there about the car, caught fitfully between the rising and falling of the blast. The lamps grew dim, and the majority of the castaways settled themselves among the flickering shadows to think, to forget the present if they could, to sleep if they might. The eternal night, it surely seemed eternal to us, wore its lagging hours away at last, and the cold grey dawn broke in the east. As the light grew stronger, the passengers began to stir and give signs of life, one after another, and each in turn pushed his slouched hat up from his forehead, stretched his stiffened limbs, and glanced out of the windows upon the cheerless prospect. It was cheerless indeed. Not a living thing visible anywhere, not a human habitation, nothing but a vast white desert, uplifted sheets of snow, drifting hither and thither before the wind. A world of eddying flakes shutting out the firmament above. All day we moped about the cars, saying little, thinking much. Another lingering dreary night, and hunger. Another dawning, another day of silence, sadness, wasting hunger, hopeless watching for succour that could not come. A night of restless slumber, filled with dreams of feasting, wakings distressed with the gnawings of hunger. The fourth day came and went, and the fifth, five days, Days of dreadful imprisonment. A savage hunger looked out at every eye. There was in it a sign of awful import, the foreshadowing of a something that was vaguely shaping itself in every heart, a something which no tongue dared yet to frame into words. The sixth day passed. The seventh dawned upon us gaunt and haggard and hopeless a company of men as ever stood in the shadow of death. It must out now. That thing which had been growing up in every heart was ready to leap from every lip at last. Nature had been taxed to the utmost. She must yield. 
Richard H. Gaston of Minnesota, tall, cadaverous and pale, rose up. All knew what was coming. All prepared. Every emotion, every semblance of excitement was smothered. Only a calm, thoughtful seriousness appeared in the eyes that were lately so wild. Gentlemen, it cannot be delayed longer. The time is at hand. We must determine which of us shall die to furnish food for the rest. Mr. John J. Williams of Illinois rose and said, Gentlemen, I nominate the Reverend James Sawyer of Tennessee. Mr. William R. Adams of Indiana said, I nominate Mr. Daniel Sloat of New York. Mr. Charles J. Langdon, I nominate Mr. Samuel A. Bowen of St. Louis. Mr. Sloat, gentlemen, I desire to declare...